Hello, colleagues, and welcome to the Assistant Principal Podcast. I'm your host, Frederick Buskey. The goal of this podcast is to help improve the life and leadership of assistant principals. This podcast complements APEX, the Assistant Principal Acceleration Program, but you certainly don't need to be an APEX member to find value in the podcast. Today, I'm joined by Elizabeth Schumpert. Director of, Director of Student Support Services for Saluda County Schools in South Carolina. Elizabeth is here today to help us become better partners in serving exceptional students. Hello, Elizabeth. Hi, Dr. Besky. How are you? I'm doing great. Um, and as podcast listeners know, many of the guests on this show are people that I know, and you definitely fit into that pattern. Elizabeth was uh, in the first cohort of principal licensure students that I worked with at Clemson University way back in 2013. And Elizabeth, I want you to know there are two things that I really appreciated about you. First, you had a thirst for knowledge and you would always ask the next question or want additional resources. And really your passion for learning motivated me to be a better professor. So thank you. Second, you've always been direct. And in a world where we can sugarcoat things kind of too much, uh, your approach has always been refreshing. So thanks for coming on to the show. Well, thank you for having me. Yeah. Um, so can you briefly tell us how you got to where you are today? Well, I started off in um, Saluda County. I never left. I found a home there. I found a work family that I truly loved. And I started off as a um, math teacher in the middle school. Um, I also have experience in special education. I taught for four years after taking a few years off to stay home with a child. Um, and then later on in my career, I started with um, instructional coaching and then moved into um, my admin degree. And that is when I got the opportunity to be an assistant principal and um, after two years of being the assistant principal, I realized I didn't want to be the principal. <laughs> <laughs> um, I had the opportunity, though, to move to the um, district office with my background in special education and um, take over as the director of student support, which includes special ed and Title III, so our ESOL program. Um, however, my first year into that job, um, we had the pandemic. And I was also asked mid-year to take over and be the interim principal for the remainder of the year. Um, so that is how I um, grew in my career and I have loved every step of it. And um, it's just been a, a huge learning experience. Hmm. Thanks for sharing that. And, and I wanted to um, shout out, I, I've done a lot of work with a lot of the people at Saluda and you know, we, rural districts, I think, sometimes get kind of a negative rap. Um, and, and just my experience, especially with Saluda, but also other rural districts, is the, the family atmosphere and, and just the, the sense of community that comes in districts like that, not just, I mean, certainly in your own building, but then also just the whole community piece of it. And, and Saluda is so strong in that and has such a vital community um, going on around it. And, and uh, so I, I just want to give a shout out to all the rural school districts out there. Uh, you know, if, if, if you're a new AP and you've never been in the rural environment, don't, don't make assumptions about it and just pass it by because rural schools are special places and um, not meaning any offense to any of our urban um, brothers and sisters out there, but 
just want to put a plug in for rural schools. I agree. They're definitely hidden gems. Yeah. Okay. So this podcast is built around the principles of strategic leadership, prioritizing purpose over urgency, addressing problems, not symptoms, driving incremental progress rather than big change, and focusing on people instead of tasks. And it's easy to get focused on the legal aspects of special education, and I think administrators can fall in the trap of viewing SPED as something to be managed or reacted to, but good SPED leadership is really about focusing on purpose over urgency and staying focused on students and the people who support those students, not the tasks of completing IEPs, behavior plans, and all those other fun things. So I think... Let's start to break today's discussion into three parts. The SPED team, being proactive, and IEP meetings. So as we discuss these three different pieces, I'd like you to continually share with us examples of administrators doing these things well, as well as providing tips on how to avoid some of the potential pitfalls. Are you ready? Yeah, let's go. Okay. So who makes up the SPED team and what can administrators do to support these team members? The SPED team is really anybody who can add valuable information to the student. Um, A typical SPED team would look like a special education teacher, a general education teacher, school administrator, parent, student, school psychologist, guidance counselors are just some examples. Um, And in the best case scenario, you would have all of these people around the table advocating and supporting the student. However, there are times that you have a minimal IEP team and a compliant IEP team can be just the LEA, which a lot of times is your special education director, your school administrator, um, your general education teacher, and your SPED teacher. Um, Administrators can support the SPED team um, by being present, by listening, by focusing on um, what everybody agrees on, building a common ground. Um, And I think the principal is also um, a co-facilitator of the meeting. Um, So when the conversation turns tough, um, a lot of times the administrator should be the one to step in and help guide back towards smoother waters. I think that's a really critical point, and especially for assistant principals, and a, a lot of APs I know also serve as, as the LEA and, and are in those meetings without a principal present, um, and I think sometimes there can be some like, trepidation about what their role is, and with the, the teacher, the SPED teacher facilitating that meeting, having assistant principals know when to jump in and, and when to not, um, I, I think that's an important thing to be thinking about. Mm-hmm. I agree. Um, there's a lot of meetings that I facilitate for um, my SPED teachers as the director of special education. Anytime we have an MDR, um, a manifestation relatedness meeting, I will typically facilitate that meeting because obviously something has come up, something has happened that is going to cause a remo- removal justification for that student. And um, the more we support our special education teachers, the more effective they can be in the classroom. Okay, and 
And they, I think the other thing I've seen, like when parents are supportive of the school, SPED works a lot better. Um, so what are some of the best practices for assistant principals and building those positive relationships with parents of exceptional children? Um, well, first of all, you have to be able to build those relationships with the parents. Um, always keep in the forefront that the student is first a general education student who just happens to qualify for specialized instruction. Um, focus on what you agree on, like I said earlier, and listen to the parents. Listening is so key. That student, that, excuse me, that parent is bringing us the best version of that student. Um, and the best thing we can do is support the parent and let the parent know that we're working together to put the student first and to um, just get those supports in place for the student to be successful. Yeah, that's a great, that's a great um, point about bringing the best version of their child. And I think they're also bringing the best, best versions of themselves. And, uh, you know, it, it's hard enough raising any child right now. Um, and, and then with all the other things going on and students with special needs uh, often require additional um, support. And I think we get a lot of teachers or parents that do come into the game highly stressed and, and, it, and it can be really challenging. And if there have been negative interactions at a previous school, or under a previous administration, you know, that just compounds things. So I, th I think that's also one thing that assistant principals can really keep in mind is parents are doing the best they can. And, and when a, if a parent is complaining, or even if they're starting to go on the attack, um, I think listening and trying to understand and don't get caught up in the emotion and don't feel that personal attack, um, so a lot of times it's just, it's general frustration and they want better for their kid and they're advocating for their kid the best way they can. And so for us to be able to stay calm and really focus on, okay, what's the real issue here, right? What's the problem instead of just the symptom? Um, I, I think that that's one way that an AP can really contribute a lot. And, and I also like what you said about reminding us that Students with exceptional needs are general ed students first, and and I, I remember those those little wood boards that had all the nails poked into them, and you can put rubber bands in them and and make different shapes. Uh, I don't know if you remember those. I have no idea what they're called, um, but I heard the analogy of you know like all kids start in the center of that of that board, and. And then we stretch those rubber bands out to the different kinds of supports and services, not just exceptional children, every child, all right? If you're doing athletics, then that's a nail that we're gonna stretch you out to. Um, and remembering that all our kids start in that core and then we're adding on services to supplement and to grow and to support them. I think that's, that's powerful because we can just pigeonhole the kids. Exactly. I agree 100%. Um, keeping that focus on the student, their, their general education first. Um, we're there to support the parents. I like what you said that a lot of times parents, you know, 
they just need to vent. They need to get their frustrations. And I can remember being a first year assistant principal. And, you know, one of my big tasks was handling discipline. And um, nobody wants to get that phone call that their child's got a discipline referral. But a lot of times you just have to listen. And you're going to hear that parent take a deep breath. <laughs> and when they take that deep breath, now they're ready to have the conversation. Yeah, good. Uh, you know, um, I was a special education coordinator in Northwest Ohio for a very rural county. And we had a pair of teachers that did our, um, I'm trying to remember the acronyms. It's been a long time and they keep changing, but kids with pretty significant um, cognitive disabilities um, who, who were for the most part and self-contained. And and I loved going to IEP meetings because in every IEP meeting I ever sat in with, with those teachers, here's how it started. Oh, Miss Jones, we're so glad you're here today. Thank you. And thank you so much for sharing Jared with us. We've had him for four years now, and he is just the most wonderful person. And, you know, anytime anything's going wrong in class, we can always count on Jared to tell a joke and lighten things up. And this has just been great. So we're so glad that we have Jared and thank you for coming today. And you knew how the rest of the meeting was going to go. Even if there were real disagreements, and, and sometimes there were, it, it's still that parent knew from the very beginning that, that the teachers were passionate and cared about their child and knew their child and wanted what's best for the child. And, and, and I think that's something, if, if we could get our assistant principals to embrace that idea as well, that we get into the IEP meeting and, and we're going to talk before we start the official stuff. Let's say something really positive about that kid and about the relationship we have with the kid. I, I think that would go a long way. I agree. And just think about the layout of that IEP. You know, it starts with the strengths and then you move into the needs. And I always like to remind the general education teacher, you know, don't just focus on the negative. Don't just focus on that they're failing your class or they're not doing homework. Um, focus on the strengths of what that child brings to your class, a different perspective. Um, maybe they challenge you to be a better teacher, um, but there's always something positive that you can say. And it just reminds me of um, the way that we're set up to evaluate teachers now. You know, we, we start with the reinforcements and then we move to the refinement. And the IEP is the same way. We're reinforcing what the student does well. And then we're going to talk about, and here's how we can support the student. And that's what we do with teachers. Yeah, I love it. Okay, so let's shift to being proactive, um, which is gonna take us into some of the challenge pieces. Uh, I know one of the frustrations I always had as a SPED coordinator was, it seemed we were always being reactive instead of proactive, especially when it comes to discipline. And so one of the caveats here is I think we're going back to early 2000s, the last time that I was SPED coordinator. So maybe things have changed, maybe not. Um, I want to talk about BIPs or behavior intervention plans for a minute, because I think they're one of the most misused SPED tools in our toolbox. Um, and, and the way I always saw the BIP process unfolding was at the last minute when we were going to have to make changes to kids based on a pattern of behavior instead of 
starting that behavior intervention plan early on when we first started to see patterns of behavior and, and then continually using the behavior intervention plan as, as a support tool, as opposed to kind of sometimes a checkbox before we, before we make a change in placement. Right. Um, so one thing when, um, and I'm going to keep going back when I was um, assistant principal, um, when I would notice, like you said, a pattern of behaviors, a student was getting a referral, you know, they're on their third referral for the same behavior. I would get with the special education teacher and ask them, you know, does the student have a BIP? Does the student need a BIP? Um, how can we help support the student? And how can we be proactive rather than reactive? Um, I have a teacher who, you know, one of the tools is give the students an if-then statement. If a student doesn't want to do something, tell them if-then. Well, I've got another student who said, I use when-then. When you do this, then you will be able. And that way, um, you're telling the student the expected behavior up front. Hmm. Okay. I think it's very important that when a student does have a BIP, you've got to share that with the teachers. The teachers have got to know um, if the student does have a trigger, if there is an antecedent, what do we need to be looking out for? Um, what are the replacement behaviors that we're expecting? Um, and then what has been written in that BIP in order to give that student that time? Do they need a timeout? Do they need a safe space to go um, before they go back into the classroom? Um, just making everybody aware of what's in that BIP. I think they go sideways when people don't know. Yeah. It's, it's too late when the gen ed teacher said, well, if I only knew the child had a BIP, we now we're in violation. Yeah. Yeah. Well, okay. And, and so you, you prompted my memory, you fed right into that. And, and I'm going to ask you at the end of the podcast, you know, what you think you want a, a piece to take, take out of this. But I think one big thing that I hope people are really listening to is using the behavior intervention plan to get to the problem instead of just the symptom. Because if we haven't done the BIP process and we're just putting our punishments on the kid, hoping they're gonna change behavior, we're missing the boat. Because the great thing about the BIP process is we do talk about what are those triggers. And once we figure out the triggers and we're probably pretty close to figuring out what the, what the root problem is, and then we can start doing things. And maybe it is teaching those replacement behaviors. Um, maybe it is recognizing how to de-escalate a kid. And, and the bit brings those things to light so that then when everybody has that information, you know, we don't, hopefully we don't ever get to that next level. Um, and so, yeah, I think, again, as an AP, if you're struggling with a student who has an exceptional child, um, discipline-wise, convene the BIP sooner rather than later. I agree. Um, focusing on the negative um, is not doing anything. I mean, if, if a student keeps doing the same repeated behavior, it's probably because they want to have one day of out-of-school suspension. You know, they want to stay home. So in a way, you're rewarding them 
And something that I've really had to teach gen ed teachers as the assistant principal as well when I was over discipline, it's not about the consequence. It's more or less about the documentation. And um, it can be just having a conversation with the parent or the student. It doesn't have to be one day of out of school suspension. It doesn't have to be in school suspension. Um, it's more important that we document and um, not necessarily about the consequence, I guess, is where I was going with that. Yeah. Well, I, I was um, working with a bunch of intern two teachers a couple weeks ago and, and make the point about punishment. If you're going from the psychology field, right, it's only punishment if it decreases the behavior. So it, if the kid keeps repeating the behavior and we keep punishing them, we're not technically punishing them. And, and uh, you know, sometimes we do get too focused on applying prescriptive consequences as opposed to looking at decreasing behavior. And I think that should always be the goal. Mm -hmm. So speaking of behavior, right, this is one of the most challenging areas of serving exceptional children. What are some of the best practices that you've seen with school leaders just helping support these students in school? You're going to hear me use this word often because it is. It's all about relationships, building relationships. The saying, you know, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. You can't teach a child that you don't know. Um. I think another way to um, prevent behaviors in a classroom is to plan engaging lessons. Um, students typically get off task inappropriate behaviors when they're not engaged. Um, so making sure that students are active learners, not just compliant learners, um, will go a long ways. and. You know, when we're talking about kids that have an IEP, ensure that the lessons are at their instructional level to avoid frustration. Um, typically, when a student is frustrated, they'll act out. Um, they don't want to appear different from their peers. So they would rather have that negative attention than to appear different. Yeah, I think task avoidance is big. and. And again, when the team can get together and talk, if we recognize which kind of behaviors are task avoidance, then that takes us a long way. One of the things that I always found really interesting as a special ed teacher, I was guilty of this. And I think it's relatively common practice that when we see kids struggle, struggling cognitively, we actually narrow the curriculum and we go down and we just focus on these small granular pieces. Whereas I think what really helps kids is if we actually go bigger. So if we go to the big ideas, um, you know, if we're talking about World War II or something, as opposed to the, the little details of battles or the numbers of casualties or, or whatever, talking, going to the, to the big ideas and the, and the big things that are happening and the causes and, and why people do certain things because our kids can relate to that. And, and having those 
big ideas, having things that that involve human behavior, that our kids understand that and can link to that. And I think then they can they can actually build on that to get a more detailed understanding of what happened. So so I would encourage teachers as one way to increase engagement, intellectual engagement and emotional engagement with kids is, is kind of flip it over and start with those those big ideas and engage kids with that. So let's let's move to the IEP meeting. Is that that is it that time of year for you guys? Um in a way it is and in a way it's not. Um we don't do annual reviews at the end of the year. We do them throughout the year. Um when I was a special education teacher, we did do them at the end of the year and having to prepare 28 IEP meetings, um there was a little teaching going on for those few weeks ahead. Um so probably about five, six years ago, we moved towards um, gearing them around their birthday, and then they just ended up falling when they fall. So that does work better for us. However, we do bump-up meetings at the end of the year, and a bump-up meeting would be for a student that is transitioning to a different school. So going from elementary to middle school, middle school to high school, primary to elementary. And the reason we do that is if we can go ahead and amend that IEP before the new school year starts, all the services are in place. The IEP is compliant as far as services and um, it's less paperwork on that teacher. You know, at the beginning of the year, you want to be able to focus on the students, building the relationships with the students and not on your paperwork. So we have found that the bump up meetings help tremendously. Right. And uh, let, let's talk about parents because parent engagement can be a challenge in some schools or with certain parents. What are some of the best strategies that you've seen or use to really um, pull, pull, get parents to the meeting, but also have them be engaged as equal participants? Um, my special education teachers are expected to ask for parent input into the IEP? Is there anything that they would like to have added? Is there anything that they disagree on? So that way that does get this um, parent to um, take some ownership of the document. Um, and just making it a welcome environment for the parent. Um, letting them know that um, it's non-threatening. A lot of times, you know, parents are often um, anxious and they're confused about the process. So the more relaxed we can make the parent, um, the more likely is that they will continue to participate in their child's IEP meetings. And you guys have a large ELL population. Correct. Are, are there special things that you do to reach out to your community members, and I think most of your ELL are um, Spanish speaking. What have you found to be effective in engaging and supporting those parents? Um, in South Carolina, um, we are moving to the term multilingual. Um, yeah, we want to make it sound like the student is coming with two languages, not that they're not English proficient yet, but that they have the two languages there. and. Um, 
this and I know this isn't really the question you've asked me and I'll I'll get that way and I'll get there in just a minute um but one thing that I'm going to do this summer is um, South Carolina has a new category, which is multilingual students with disabilities. And in Saluda County, out of our special education population, that's about 20% of our SPED kids. So this summer, I'm offering a summer camp for kids that specifically are multilingual. They have a learning disability and... Um, we're just focusing on a summer camp where we work on those reading skills and um, we're going to do some field trips, take them out into the community um, and just help them acquire the language and the skills that they need to be successful in school and beyond school. But um, I think with relationships with any parents, um, it's just making them feel welcome letting them know that you're there for their child, that you want what's best for their child. Um, we have always been fortunate that with our Hispanic students, um, we've had a, a supportive um, family relationship with them because they have come to the United States wanting their child to have a better life than what they had and they value education and they put importance on education. So um, often we make sure that we have translators for any meetings that we have. Um, that way the parents, when they come, they know that they'll be able to understand what is being said. So that's been one of the key things is making sure they know that somebody will be there, somebody will translate and that they're valued. And, that was a lot of rambling. I'm sorry. That's okay. And you've got a lot of multilingual staff, I think, in the district. So, so parents at this point do understand that's a commitment the district has made. Not not even a commitment. It's who you are. Um, and and so I think that also breaks down some barriers. I, I also wanted to point out what you just said with the the summer camp. Really, is about creating additional opportunities. And and sometimes we get focused on kind of the remediation side of education that I think we can forget that expanding opportunities and providing different experiences for kids is every bit as important as some of those remedial practices and, and maybe even more so, right? Yeah. I mean, you know, it's going to be very simple. The things we do, it's as simple as we're walking to the library one day and all the kids will get a library card. Um, we're taking them out to lunch. Um, one day and they're going to have to place their order, um, teach them those soft skills. Um, they're going to go to the Newberry Opera House, just opportunities that they've never had before. Yeah. Okay. Um, so I think there are probably a few assistant principals out there that they know they're there of the LEA rep, but maybe don't know exactly what that means. And hesitant to ask somebody. So can you, can you help them be really clear about the responsibilities of the LEA rep? Absolutely. Um, I said earlier, I think you need to be a co-facilitator, someone who provides unobtrusive assistance and guidance or supervision. Um, you want to ensure that the proposed IEP enables the student to make progress that is appropriate in light of their circumstances. Um, 
in Saluda, it is expected that um, the LEA preview the IEP a minimum of 48 hours prior to the meeting. I have been in meetings before where I was the LEA and I just had to say, I can't sign this. This is a legal document. Um, you actually have goals for a student in math, but you're not providing any math services. If you're not looking over that document with a fine tooth comb, um, legally, you know, you may not be providing FAPE. So I think it's a responsibility to look through the IEP prior to the meeting. Um, this is gonna just, it's kind of a repeat of what I said, ensure the IEP includes services that the student needs in order to receive FAPE. And one of the big things is ensure that any financial obligations that are agreed on by the IEP team can be met by the local education agency. Um, I don't think how often people realize they're making financial obligations in IEP meetings. Um, I think that's one of the scary parts of it, too. You know, and I always tell um, assistant principals who are nervous about that. Um, typically, our principals and assistant principals LEA all of their annual reviews. Typically, those are just, we're updating information, nothing special. Um, however, if it's a parent who we know... Um, might be rather demanding, might be rather unpleasant. Um, they know that they can invite me to those meetings and I'll be glad to be the LEA. But I always tell them just have a, a stump statement. Um, when a well-intended parent is asking for something that you're not comfortable obligating, you know, the district to, just let them know that, um, at this point, you're not comfortable making that financial obligation. However, if they would like to um, get in touch with their director of special education, um, that they have that right and, and leave it there. You don't have to agree to anything. Um, you can just leave it without being in the IEP and then another meeting can be held and they can amend the IEP with somebody who's more comfortable making those financial obligations yeah. or standing up and saying, no, we can't make that obligation. And these are the reasons why. And, and every IEP meeting doesn't have to end with a signed document. And there can be good reasons and healthy reasons even to say, you know what, we need more information or we need to think more about this. Let's, let's come back and revisit this. So here was my rule of thumb, and you're absolutely free to disagree with me and push back. I always thought any IEP meeting that goes over an hour is probably not good. And my my general, um, I, I would I would probably want to shut it down after about an hour. If we if we're not really close to consensus, then let's just stop. Let's go. Let's think about some things, and let's come back again. Again, you're free to push back against that. I agree with you 100%, but I would like to push it back even more. A typical IEP really shouldn't go more than 30 minutes. Um, I mean, there's always going to be that student who may have multiple services, the student who has occupational PT, speech, you know, and everybody needs um, their time to share their part of the IEP, but um, a typical annual review shouldn't last more than 30 minutes, in my opinion. 
Yeah. And sometimes you've got transition services. I always found that that would, could be something that would take up time, but I know I've, I don't think I've ever had the pleasure of being in a three hour IEP meeting, but I have heard people being in three hour IEP meetings. And I, I just think a, after 60 minutes, there's not a lot of good going to come out of that. People are just going to be tense and tired and cranky and angry. I unfortunately had the pleasure of being in some eight hour IEP meetings. Um, yeah, we would start at nine o'clock and we would still be going at four o'clock. However, those were meetings where there were lawyers representing both sides. And I think maybe one lawyer was just billing for some services. (laughs) Somebody got a boat out of that one. (laughs) Okay. So what, what are one or two things that you've seen administrators do in an IEP meeting that are just stellar? You think, wow, they, they, they're on top of the game. Um, they take the lead during those difficult conversations. They have obviously previewed that IEP because they're knowledgeable of it prior to the meeting. They focus on the positives. They advocate what is best for the student because often what's best is not what is easiest. It may not be what the teachers want to hear, but it's what's best. Um, They have a plan B. You know, when the parent really pushes back, what is plan B going to be? And um, this one is so simple. Be on time for the meeting and be present in the meeting. You know, don't be on your phone. Don't be checking your email. Be on time and be present. That goes a long ways. Well, and I think you hit something I hadn't really thought about is is the role of the AP as the child's advocate. We think we think about the assistant principal being the school's advocate because you're the rep. But by definition, you're you're always a child advocate. And and so being mindful of balancing those roles and responsibilities. And hopefully if you're mindful of that, that also helps you keep focused and and dialed in on the meeting. Mm-hmm. I agree. Okay. Um, one other thing, and I think we can ask this right now. So one of the practices that we used back in the day that I had didn't hear talked a lot about um, was the idea of triggers. I know I've been in, in meetings with people where we're pretty sure that we need a, a more restrictive environment or, or we want services for the child that we think the, the parent doesn't want. And, and rather than just dig in and fight tooth and nail, we started having conversations with parents about triggers that would move us into a different form of service. And, and, and so, um, you know, if it was maybe say some kind of academic support that, that we thought we wanted pull out services for the student, the parents said, no, I don't want to pull out. I didn't want to pull out. Instead of having that fight, we would say, okay, let's talk about then if the student is doing good and great, then yeah, let's not have pullout, but let's put in a trigger because we don't want to be coming back at the last minute saying we need to add these services. We want to, we want to build the support in. So if X happens with the student, if their grades drop or if they start missing assignments, if we get to this threshold, then we will kick in this form of support. And back in the day, that was, 
that was okay. I don't think we, we never ran into any legal problems with that. And it seemed like a way to work with parents in good faith that, okay, you think your kid can handle it. You know, yeah, we're going to defer to that. But at the same time, we want to have things ready just in case, because we don't want the kid to fall down. Yeah, that's actually, um, I like that. Um, and I think that's a great plan. Um, that's something I will definitely take back to my teachers and make sure that they have those readily and available and the school administrators have those. Um, I've also found that when it's going to be something more than just an annual review, when you're, like you said, you're thinking about changing maybe the placement of services, maybe from resource to self-contained or you know, maybe um, you're talking about the student being on an abbreviated day or being home-based. Um, I have found that my teachers who share that information with the um, parents prior to the meeting, that look, this is what, this is something that could possibly be proposed. It's nothing definite because we always only bring a draft. Right. However, it could be proposed and I need you to really think about it so that if it does come up, you know, you're not caught off guard. Excellent. And I have seen conversation, I have seen conversations go better and parents being more receptive because a lot of times we know we're reactive. Mm -hmm. And after we've had time to think about something, we can kind of maybe see, okay, the reasoning behind it. Yeah. And, and so I think that's, that's another way assistant principals can be supportive of their SPED teachers is, is when you have those conversations to, to make it clear to the teacher, yeah, go share that with, go share that with the parent. Don't try to hold, hold cards too close to the vest. Mm -hmm. um, any really bad pitfalls that, that you've seen or heard about that you would caution APs to, to avoid? Um, you know, never be confrontational. Um, parents may sometimes come in defensive. Um, like I talked about earlier, they're sending the best version of their child to school. Um, so don't be confrontational. The parent usually knows, um, what the child is struggling with, whether it's behaviors, academics, um, and it goes back to one of the things that you can do. Um, you know, you can be on time, you can be present. So avoid being late. And as we talked about earlier, your job as the LEA is you are representing the school, you're representing the district, but it's your job to represent what's best for that student. And I think as long as that's in the forefront of any conversation, um, you can't go wrong. Yes, that is, that is the gold star. <laughs> that is the gold star statement. Um, and I think that will be the feature of this, right? As long as you're keeping the student at the forefront, mm -hmm. you can't go wrong. And maybe I'm just spoiled, you know? I'm not going to say that we don't have our share of meetings that go sideways. Um, we definitely have. Um, I had my first experience last year where a parent took it to due process. 
Um, and it was all over the, something that the parent wanted in that IEP and I refused to give it to her. Um, and fortunately, um, the school district came out on, you know, the bright side. Um, we had done nothing to violate FAPE. And as long as, as you're putting the student first, you won't violate FAPE. Right. When, when my superintendent asked me to go be the special ed coordinator, I, I, my eyes got really big. I said, Jan, I, I don't know all the law and the legalities. And I mean, it's really complicated stuff. And he said, Frederick, parents don't sue school districts because school districts broke the law. They sue because they felt disrespected. And in fact, you can do everything right and you can still get sued, right? You're just going to win. Correct. Probably. Correct. Yeah. <laughs> so it, I think that's, that was also a big mind shift for me and a mind shift I would encourage uh, administrators to embrace. So like, this is not all about the law. It's about serving kids and, and serving families and respecting families and even families that, that may be really difficult to work with, they're, they're working under really difficult circumstances and we have to have that respect and that care and we have to want to work with the families to serve the students. Um, so special ed is really not about the law. It goes back to what you said earlier. This, it really is about relationships. It is. Okay. As we wrap up, I have three questions for you. First, what part of your own leadership are you still trying to get better at? Gosh, that's a tough question because I know I've got so many areas that I do need improvement on. Um, I still need to trust that other people can get the job done and um, I can release some of the responsibility. You and half the listeners out there. <laughs> okay. If, if listeners could take just one thing away from today's show, what would you want them to walk away with? Um, since today is focusing on how can we help our um, new assistant principals support special education, support the students and the staff that work with special needs, um, Remember that children with disabilities may have one or two disabilities, but they have hundreds of abilities and focus on the abilities. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Anything else you want to share? I think that's it. Um, I appreciate you giving me this platform to share what I've learned and um, to continue to grow. Um, you know, you've taught me that being reflective is how we grow as leaders. And, you know, this was a reflective conversation. So I appreciate the opportunity. Ah, good. Well, thank you. And I learned too. And it was great talking to you. Great having you on the show. Well, thank you. Okay. So listeners, if you enjoyed today's show, please subscribe and rate this podcast. I'm always trying to improve the show. So if you have feedback for me, please email me at frederick at frederickbusky.com. If you'd like more content tailored towards the needs of assistant principals, you can head over to my website at frederickbusky.com. That wraps up today's show. I'm Frederick Busky, and I hope you'll join me next time for the Assistant Principal Podcast.